It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host, Austin Peterson, as always, coming to you from the Scottsdale and Tempe, Arizona area. I've got my co-host, Landon Mance, coming to us from Las Vegas, Nevada, and we are excited to have in studio with us today, Alan Draper of alandraper.com. Alan, welcome to the studio. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, appreciate you coming in. Uh, Before we jump in, I want to just kind of give... a quick breakdown on what we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz for those who are listening potentially for the first time. Tycoons of Small Biz is a radio program and podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. And our sole goal here is to prop up the local business owner and give them an opportunity to have a platform that they can share what it is that they do and and build their business. Because Landon and I, we know that the small business owner in our country is truly the backbone of the American economy. So we're excited to have one of those tycoons in studio today, Alan Draper. What I love about Alan is that he just owns the fact that it's alandraper.com. And when it says title, it says entrepreneur. Like most guys will come in, president, CEO, co-founder, whatever it is, entrepreneur. So I, I love the fact that you own the fact that you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, and I think being an entrepreneur is is much more than what you do during the day. It's uh, it's kind of the spirit of that word. Um, it it kind of um, defines me in, in a way in not just what I do, but how I think and how I pursue life, and you know, in various aspects, not even just you know professionally. So I, I love that word. It gets thrown around a lot, so it's borderline cliche now, but. I, that's definitely a word that I use to describe myself. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely overused, right? A lot of people call themselves entrepreneurs or consider this, themselves entrepreneurs when they're not truly entrepreneurs. And we can, you know, talk a little bit more about the definition of an entrepreneur and kind of what it means to you to be an entrepreneur. But before we jump into kind of the business side of things, tell us a little bit about what, you know, you've, you've got a quote here in your in your intake form from Simon Sinek. So tell us a little bit about what your why is. Start by telling us about your family and, and kind of how you got into to doing what you do today. I think it started when, you know, I was a little kid with a paper route, hustling with a paper route. Um, I was involved in sports a lot also as a kid. And so I, um, back then, to, you know, fund equipment and leagues and stuff, we would sell candy bars and other stuff door to door. Super expensive candy bars too, by the way, like five, six bucks. And I was, you know, expected to sell these door to door. And so I think that's when it started. And I think being an entrepreneur is kind of in in my blood a little bit. Um, My uncles, my father, all entrepreneurs with small businesses, um, relatively small scale, to be honest with you. But the, the spirit of kind of going out and creating something was still there. So I did spend a considerable amount of time in college. I got a law degree also when I practiced law for a while. But um, in the back of my mind, there was that never ending, you know, prompting thought, hey, it's some, you know, someday at some point, you got to pull the trigger and, 
and do what you were put on this earth to do, at least one of the things you were put on this earth to do and, and start creating something. I started investing in real estate in 2006, perfect time, right? <laughs> I bought a couple of properties back then that I actually still own today, a couple of properties in, in the Boise, Idaho area. And that was a rough start. I lost $100,000 in equity in each house within six months or something, something crazy. I think that's a great lesson for entrepreneurs is a lot of people think, hey, I'm going to start my own business and it's going to be all rainbows and sunshine. And so right off the bat, I got punched right in the face, but then went to law school. And I guess my second business, in addition to real estate, was um, a pest control company. And so that's kind of where I got you know, my start. Yeah. No, I think that's that's an awesome beginning. I, there are a couple of things that stick out to me. One, I had a paper route too. I bought my first yeah. car with money that I made from oh, a paper dang. route. You made more money than I did. Well, I bought the car for $150. <laughs> oh, it, it was okay. a 1974 Dodge Dart. Okay. Uh, but okay. It, it got me around. So that was 1990. 91, something like that. Okay. Um, when I would have when I would have purchased it. So it was 15 years old, but it it got me around for a while until we drove it through a puddle and then, you know, the engine just didn't survive after that <laughs> and had to move on to the 1981 Chevrolet Chevette Ooh. that was Hunter Orange. So you can imagine that I picked up a lot of ladies with that one. <laughs> and speeding tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, and then obviously sports. I mean, I, I think that the thing is, you know, selling those candy bars, um, it, it teaches you to hustle and get out there and not be afraid to speak to adults and, and tell them what it is yeah. that, you know, that you're doing and why you're trying to do it. They sell them for five bucks because obviously they know an adult is going to have pity on a kid yeah, exactly. who's trying to raise money for his little league team, right? Right. But uh, it, it does teach you important lessons just like a paper route does. I mean, when you had to go and collect the money for the for the month for the paper route, yep. you're having to interact with them. They may be giving you an excuse why they don't have the money. So all those types of skills kind of lead you down this, this path, which is awesome. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people think it's just about throwing the newspapers or, you know, delivering them. But there's, I remember there was a sales aspect to it. There was, you know, this aspect of making sure that you collected the money. And around Christmas time, it was great collecting though. Oh, because, yeah. you know, get an extra couple bucks. Yep. I remember tip. that too. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, um, Landon, I can see you getting ready to move your lips. So let's, let's hear what you got to say. <laughs> You are, you are correct, sir. You know me so well, don't you? <laughs> it's funny, Alan, as you were, uh, as you guys were kind of having that discussion and then you uh, mentioned what you just mentioned about the paper route. In my mind, I kind of went to this place of that may very well describe right there, like the difference between an entrepreneur and somebody that is doing a job, right? Because the paper boy that's just doing the job all he sees is delivering papers. The entrepreneur that is delivering the papers, they see experiences and opportunities. And they, they remember that, you know, Mrs. Jones is 84 years old. And if he throws her paper at the end of the driveway, you know, she's going to be really upset. And, you know, right. so he's got to remember, he's got to throw her paper right on the doorstep to create that good, you know, experience for Mrs. Jones. So, I don't know. That just kind of came to me as you guys were, were were saying that. So No, it's a uh, good point. I mean, being an entrepreneur is a lot about identifying opportunity and creating value. 
And that's exactly right. There was this one house where I could not stop the paper from no matter how far away from the front door that I threw the the paper, I could not stop it from like doing this end over end run and slamming really hard into the door. And I dented it over and over and over. I couldn't figure out like how to solve that problem. Several complaints <laughs> later, I, I mean, I still had a job, luckily, probably because no one else would do it. And the, the paper route passed through my family. So my older brother started at first and several of those jobs in our family. But yeah, I think you're, Landon, I think you're 100% right. You know, an entrepreneur, somebody that is trying to, to create jobs, um, to build some type of value in any industry is going to be looking for those opportunities. Hey, I'm not out here just slinging newspapers. I'm out here um, doing business development. I'm out here creating relationships. I'm out here showing that, you know, I can I can add value and I can do a job better than other people. And um, and I noticed that the you know the the customers that had the best experience with me, you know, the paper was always on the front step. You know, it was never wet. Things like that. I got a, you know, a better, better tip. And that's, that's one thing I love about our economy and about this country is I love this aspect of being able to go out there and have a little control, a lot of control, frankly, over what you, what you're doing with your time and the value that you receive back from, you know, blessing other people's lives. There's a big difference between understanding that you can control what you can control, right? There are still things that happen in business that you can't control. You couldn't control that we were going to have a national economic recession that was going to lead to you losing money in your first couple of real estate investments, right? You couldn't have controlled that. But you can control how you react to it, and you can control what you did every single day to continue on and to even lead up to the point of being able to make that type of a real estate investment. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's a great mark of a good businessman or woman is, hey, what what am I going to focus on? And what what are the things that I'm going to not worry about? And it's tough. When you create a business, I tell people it's a lot like having having kids. I can say whatever I want about my businesses and my kids, and it's fine. Somebody else says something, and you know we're going to have a problem. <laughs> and it's also, I, I never look at my kids and think, eh, they're all right. It's either I am going to beat that kid, right? Not literally, but you know I'm going to punish that kid. Or, man, that kid is just the cutest thing in the world, right? <laughs> and, and that's how it is, you know, with uh, owning a business. It's, man, it's highs and lows. And the best business owners, the best entrepreneurs find that middle ground. And a lot of the way they do that is by focusing on the things that they can control. So that's 100% accurate. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious, um, just as we get deeper into this discussion around how you now are kind of focused on helping entrepreneurs with all this stuff that we're talking about. But I think maybe just to build upon the foundation that you've already kind of set for this conversation, help us understand the transition from being this owner operator entrepreneur to selling or exiting out of the pest control business and and whatever else you were doing into this kind of new role of coaching and teaching and guiding, you know, entrepreneurs to be, you know, kind of a better version of themselves, maybe if that's fair to say. Yeah. So I got into 
pest control, not necessarily because I was an enamored with the industry, which I've I've actually come to love quite a bit. I didn't know a lot about it. Where everything that I've learned, I've had to learn after I started a business, which is usually the other way around, right? People start businesses that they know something about, which can sometimes create, you know, some problems because if they're a really great pest control technician or they're a really great plumber or they're a really great baker, then it's really hard for them to, you know, spend time building their business because they really just enjoy doing the, you know, quote unquote technical work. Mm-hmm. So in the pest control industry, we were able to scale my our company like crazy. Um, probably in terms of just year over year growth, got to be in the top 1% in the United States or even half percent. Able to scale it really quickly. And scaling a, a, service, a service business is actually quite difficult. There's a lot um, that goes into it. It's hard, it's hard to replicate service. Like you can replicate a product or something digital or whatever. But after a few years, I, I noticed that there was a lot of bad information going around the industry. There were a lot of guys that owned companies for 10, 20 years that were giving advice about hiring people and using money to fast-paced growth their company, fast-paced grow their company. And they, you know, were still their only employee. And so that's kind of when I, I realized, hey, there, we need to get some better information out here. Started a podcast and 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 tried to kind of develop the information base about, you know, starting companies and scaling them at a very fast pace. That's kind of my expertise. Like if somebody wants to, um, you know, start a company and maybe hire, hire an employee after 10 years, I'm not the guy to talk to. I'm the guy to talk to if you're at a point in your life where you want to put it all on the line. So that's kind of where I, I realized, hey, I, I have a little bit of a knack for this. I'm super passionate about it. This is what gets gets me up in the morning is helping people, you know, start and just, you know, pour gasoline on on their businesses and just really, really grow them quickly. Yeah. So I think a lot of that comes back to creating a vision and setting goals, right? I mean, that's that's kind of how you start with these these entrepreneurs. Cause you mentioned, you know, a lot of businesses get started with somebody who does a specific job and they decide, you know what, I'm tired of working for somebody else and in in their mind, quote unquote, making somebody else rich, right? I'm going to go out and do this on my own, but they don't they don't have that skill set to do more than just be a really good plumber or a really good painter or mechanic or whatever it is, right? Um, pest control technician, whatever whatever it is. And so they can't get out of their way. And so you know, talk to us a little bit about what you do to to really help somebody create a vision and set goals to do exactly what you're talking about. Let's let's take this company that you're starting today and let's build it to 50 employees over the next two years and you know, 15 million in revenue, whatever it is, whatever the goal is. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's an important point, right? Because and a lot of people they'll they'll ask me that. They'll say, Hey, you know, what what do I do in this scenario or what do I do in that scenario? And I go back to well, what's the vision? What do you want to do with your company? Where do you want your company to be in five years? Because that's going to change my answer, right? Yeah. Like if you're if you're asking me what you should do with this, you know, I've re- you have retained earnings of fifty thousand dollars. What you should do with it? Well, it depends. And so you're absolutely right. Creating that vision. Step one. I started creating my vision for what I wanted in my professional life and you know, what I wanted to create long before I started a pest control company. 
so this individual that wants 50 employees and $15 million in revenue in, you know, a matter of a year or two, they can do that. That's, I mean, it's been done. But the question is, are you willing to do it now? That's going to be dang hard depending yeah. on the industry. That's, you know, that, that could require outside funding. And that's, you know, that's debt is a, that's a bad word to some people. Sure. And so if debt is not in their vision, if, if, if what, if what they want to do with their company is not more important to them than staying debt free, then they're going to follow a different path. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, because that is a different step, right? Whether you're adamantly against debt, whether it's a religious or just a moral, you know, compass that you're following, if you're not willing to take on debt or outside investment, for, you know, on, an, on the equity side, scale can be pretty tough to yeah. do early on unless, unless you've got, you know, rich parents or you've got a lot of money yep. of your, you know, on your own that you're starting with. It's pretty tough to scale that quickly without some cash. Yeah. And, and, um, with, with our first company, we were able to do it, but man, did we live off of nothing, <laughs> you know? And so people ask me, well, how did you do it without debt? I tell them, I'm like, look it, before we even go down that path, you're probably not going to want to do what I did. I had, you know, several homes by the, by the, that point. I moved out of all of them so I could cash flow. And I lived in a two-bedroom apartment with, with two kids and my wife. Very small apartment. While I had much larger houses that I owned. And so there's a, there is a way to do it. It's just, it's just hard. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time. So without, without bringing that capital into the equation, if you want to scale a company, you don't want to give away equity. You don't want to debt finance. <laughs> Money's got to come from somewhere. Retained earnings is really your only other option. And depending on how profitable your company is, that may be a pretty long road. Yeah, absolutely. So, Alan, you mentioned uh, that the right uh, client or, or you know partner, however you kind of describe them, uh, the the right person for you is going to be that entrepreneur that says, Alan, you know, I've either got this idea or I I've got this business. You know, it's one or two or three years in. You know, I want to pour the gasoline on the fire and I want to just, I want to explode this thing, but I don't have a clue, you know, how to do it. So is that, that's the kind of person that you said that you would kind of work with now is, is there like a specific industry, you know, that you kind of work in, or is it more of like the kind of more of like the ideology of the actual individual and what they are specifically looking to do or how do you kind of pick and choose who you work with yeah i mean what what i'm learning is that the principles of business are a lot like math or language or whatever something that there's there's a system and there there are rules that apply um now it's great to have specific industry experience that will definitely give you a leg up um so originally i started coaching exclusively in the home service industry since then. And over time, I mean, I own businesses in um, lots of different industries, um, you know, food service, um, lending, home services, uh, 
I own a portion of a chemical company that has patents. Um, and so, and as I acquire equity and I start these new um, businesses, I I learn, hey, the, you know, there are a lot of underlying principles that are identical. Um, you know, understanding a market, it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. You you know, you go through that same process. But if someone comes to me, regardless of, you know, what their idea is, I'm, I'm working with somebody that uh, wants to create a product to help take pictures. Underlying business principles are the same. Now, where, where it gets a little more complicated is working with vendors and finding those connections. Those definitely help. And in some industries, I just don't have those, but I do, you know, usually um, know who to connect with or how to point them in the right direction. Right. So would it be fair to say that you kind of uh, take them under your wing, almost in like a, a mentorship kind of relationship? Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I, and, and there's, I have, you know, I've consulted on some level, several hundred companies probably, or entrepreneurs wanting to start company, uh, start a company. The relationship is can be something from, you know, a one-time 15-minute phone conversation, and I never talk to that person again, to I'm backing their idea with um, my own money, and I'm investing in their company and taking equity uh, in their company. And so there's that entire scale of my involvement. Most of what I do, to be honest, is free, pro bono. I... On my website, people can schedule a, a consultation. I don't, I've, ne- I've actually never charged a consulting fee. I may get to the point where I, I need to just because uh, my time. But, but right now, I, you know, I give, I, I give what I have and I try to be a mentor to these individuals and their, and their companies. And, and I feel like I end up learning just as much as they do especially when they're calling me from different markets and cities that I've never worked in and, and they have issues, they have personnel issues I've never come across. And so we're able to work through those things. But I, I hope that I'm a mentor to them. That's kind, of, that's kind of the idea, but I don't always have the right answer. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Talk to us, talk to us for, for a little bit. You know, if we just kind of expound upon this, talk, you know, I know that uh, mentorship is something that you talk about. Obviously, it's something that you're, really passionate about because you give up a lot of your time to to help uh, mentor people whether they're a client of yours or not so let's kind of tie that in with with community and how do those two kind of intertwine and you know what are your kind of thoughts and and feelings towards you know the power of mentorship and community well i mean austin said that at the beginning of this you know that something about how small business and entrepreneurs are the backbone of our country. And it's super cliche. I've, I've heard it a hundred times from a hundred different people, but, but it's true, right? So if, if I can help somebody, if I can help somebody develop their business and scale their business or even start their business, if I can encourage them to start their business, because I've gone through that process and because I understand the value in that, um, even just from an experience standpoint, because of that, there are there are so many far-reaching results. There are so many benefits 
to whatever community that they're in, there's direct benefits to that individual, you know, long lasting. Like someone, you want to learn about about something, go start a business. You want to learn about, um, you know, the book industry, go start a business that's in the book industry and you will be forced to learn or you will not be in it very long. And so as these entrepreneurs go about creating their businesses, scaling their businesses, it's impossible for them to not have an impact on their communities. A lot of my companies have separate missions dedicated solely to investing in their communities. Uh, my pest control companies have a division called Proof Gives Back that's 100% dedicated to doing service and providing free pest control services and doing every, everything from serving in soup kitchens to painting houses across the United States. And to be honest, that's just, it just felt natural. It just felt like a natural part of the business. And most businesses, I know we hear these stories on the news about, you know, how terrible business is and how, you know, how greedy, you know, CEOs can be and things like that. But I would, I would venture to say that most businesses want to have this connection with their community and it, uh, at least to some degree want to provide value to their community without expecting anything in return. Yeah, we actually talked about that last week. We've talked about it many times on our program where, you know, business owners do get that bad rap in the media oh, yeah. as, as being greedy, you know, money-hungry people. But the reality is, you're absolutely right. Most business owners truly want to impact their community in a positive way. And yes, as a byproduct, many of them make quite a bit of money over their yep. careers, but they they also donate a lot of money back to charity. They spend time, well, they're providing jobs, first of all, which is already a benefit to everybody's community. Um, but then they spend time giving back to their community and, and trying to have a positive impact on their own local community. And I, it's just unfair that there's so much negative coverage of small or, you know, business owners and yeah. CEOs in the media. Well, I mean, I, I think that um, to be an entrepreneur, at least for the vast majority of us, you know, there's this underlying thought of the world is a certain way now and I can do something to either change for the better or add something to that. And, and because that's, that's the type of, and this isn't every case, and I, and I hope I make that clear. There are, you know, situations where this isn't true, but I think that's just part of kind of the entrepreneurial personality is, you know, hey, I'm going to make a better widget. Hey, I'm going to provide a better service. Hey, I'm going to bake a better cake. And because that's, that's part of their underlying desire or that's kind of what they're, they're after, giving back to the community and blessing people's lives, whether that's through providing a better service or creating a job that somebody really wants to work work at, a, a job that somebody's proud of. That's just, it, it seems to come along. Another thing is that um, starting a business is um, one of the hardest things I've ever done. And and if, you don't, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, again, there, there are exceptions, but when you're trying to sleep at night or whatever, it man, it gets tough. If if you're in it for all the wrong reasons, you have people that you know you you hired the wrong person, and you're losing money. Man, it gets tough. But if you're doing it for the right reason, if if you have something, 
if you have something in place that's, hey, this this is bigger than me, this is bigger than us, I think I think those are the people that really really stick with it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think it's fair to say that many business owners, if if they're starting a business just to become rich, when it becomes tough and you're losing ten grand or thirty grand or forty grand a month yep. while you try to build this. It's pretty easy to walk away and go. You know what? There's got to be easier ways to get rich. Yeah, and there it, and there there are right. I mean, <laughs> it, it's very lucrative being an entrepreneur and being a business owner, but it's not easy, right? Not easy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Landon makes it look easy. I mean, look at <laughs> not a hair out of place. Yeah, <laughs> the beard is perfect. I mean, it's yeah, not easy, right. is it, well, Landon? In our business, Alan, as you you, you probably know, because you're a pretty savvy uh, financial guy, but in our our business, uh, if a if a a group of ten new financial advisors start on the same day, I believe the statistic uh, within it's either within three years or five years, nine out of ten of those people will not be in the business wow. any longer at all. So yeah, the failure rate in our industry is extremely, uh, extremely high. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm about 11, 12 years in now. And, uh, but there were certainly times in my career where I was like, you know, I question, you know, you question yourself, is this, am I going to survive? Like, do I need to stop doing what I'm doing and find a, you know, find a corporate job to get a paycheck because, you know, I made $12 and 47 cents last month. Like that's not really, <laughs> yeah. really going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. And I, and that sounds a lot like being an entrepreneur, right? That sounds a lot like starting a business where we all have this, this awakening, right? We get to this point and we're like, Hey, man, what did I do? And there are some people that cannot take it. They, they can't take it. They don't have an answer to that question. When you have when you have a vision, when it's not like, hey, I'm just going to get in this and make some easy money. You have a vision. You have a purpose. It's not just um, monetary. Those are the people that stick with it. That 10%, it sounds like, in your industry that can actually... And I'm, I'm not super surprised about that, but you have... Everyone has to get over the hump. You yeah. know? And and it's it's those that are doing it for something more than money. It is funny because a lot of people think that money motivates them and study after study shows that money is not the greatest motivator. It's actually like three or four on the list. But people, when you survey them, they're like, yeah, money's the number motivator. They do other studies, not asking them. And, and they've, you know, you realize that it's, it's not money. And, and so that, I mean, that's money is not even a real motivation, right? It's always a means to an end to something else, right? Money's you know, whether it's, you know, I want to buy this house or I want to save for my college, you know, my kids' college education, or I I just like having money because it gives me security. Money's always means to an end. And it's people that realize that, that can kind of get over that hump that's required. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And I'll just make a comment on what Landon said, you know, because it, it is, it's about a 10%, you know, uh, success rate in our industry, but it, it's a, it's about that in business overall, right? Yeah. And, Landon and I are business owners. We built these, you know, businesses from the ground up. We merged our practices together just a few months ago, actually. But the the success is not really about how good they are as a financial advisor. 
The reality is many of them are great at giving investment advice or, or whatever. Most of them are not great at building the business and following the principles that you're talking about and acquiring enough new clients because they're not marketing experts or they don't hire a, a good marketing expert. It's it's really not about the advice. It's do they know how to scale a business? And and most financial advisors don't or business owners, entrepreneurs in general don't know how to scale that business. And that's why you see the the failure. Yeah. And I, that, that's actually very, very common, right? Um, people acquire experience or even expertise in an industry and they think, hey, man, I am really good at landscaping. I am a great landscaper, arguably the best in my area. I'm going to go start a business. Um, well, that's great that you're good, but there's all these other things that, you know, all, the, all these other key pieces that would be missing to complete that picture. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you, put, you put this uh, quote on your intake form that I like. It's, it's, it's attributed to you. So hopefully this is actually your quote. Um, it says, the goal is not to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. So tell us about that quote and what it, why it means so much to you. That quote, I, I kind of, I read something similar in a book or I was reading something in a book that made me think of that and I kind of put my own twist on it. But I work with a lot of young individuals, a lot of college-age kids, um, um, have a very large uh, door-to-door marketing program with my companies. And um, I was asked to give a keynote speech one time to a group of them. For some reason, legacy kind of came to mind. I didn't have that perspective when I was that age, when I was in my low 20s. So that's kind of where I came up with that. And it, I mean, for me, it just speaks about perspective and focus. Man, it's tough to, as a business owner, to be able to focus on something so long-term as, you know, my own death, right? That I'm not going to last forever when I have a technician that just got in a terrible car accident, right? And so if we take a step back and we realize, hey, you know, someday, you know, Alan's not going to be around, but something about Alan's life can, can still be around. You know, that's, that's really what it means to me. And it also changes how I, I approach things. It, it allows me to kind of see the bigger picture and, and I, you know, and, and it gives me motivation. Like, hey, there's there's something that I can do um, with my relatively short period of time that I have on this earth that I can pass on. And and if I can encourage enough people to kind of share that mentality, I, I think that's what a true legacy is. To me, that's my definition of legacy is what lasts when I'm no longer around there was somebody that was going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and he said something similar about that. He said something about how because they're, you know, they're, those little statues or the busts of their face remain at the Pro Football Hall of Fame that, um, and they'll always be there, right? Theoretically. That even when they're gone, there is something that is left. And each, of, each one of us has that opportunity. We just have to find out what we want that legacy to be. 
Yeah, I think, that, you know, for me, a lot of things come to mind, right? I mean, you could build a business that potentially becomes a generational family business, right? Proof pest control could easily become a generational family business. That's one aspect. I know that you're a family guy. We've talked about this ahead of time. And so there's, you know, the other aspect to that. And, and really what made me think of this is, you know, I, I've always owned the, the whole 20 years that I've been a financial planner. I've always owned another business outside of financial planning for two reasons. One, I think it makes me better as a financial planner because most of our clients are business owners anyway. And it helps me to understand what it is that they do on a day-to-day basis and how they deal with those issues, whether it's HR issues or financial issues or whatever. But I've always had, so there was a painting company, residential and commercial painting company that I owned about a decade or so ago. And a lot of people that worked for me were young college age people. And they would ask me, you know, constantly for advice on whatever, education or this or that, or what should I do for a career? And, and my response was always to them. And this, is, this goes back to the legacy that you're potentially leaving behind because they then pass it on to their kids. And I'll do the same with mine. You're doing the same with yours. My response was always, don't choose a career based on how much money you think you can make in that career. Choose a career based on something that you feel passionate about, right? And I think that can go too far where, you know, you're just passionate about whatever right. that makes no money, right? Right, right. But you've, you've got to be, you've got to do something that you can feel good about getting out of bed every morning to do. You know, I, I have too many friends who are just miserable in their careers, whether they're an accountant or an attorney or whatever. It doesn't matter because every career can be miserable to somebody, right. right? But they're miserable, but they keep, they stick with it because they're making a half a million bucks a year yep. as an attorney, for example. So it, that that's the piece of advice that I always give. And, and for me, my legacy, business is important to me, but my why is my family. And I know that that's the case for you too because of conversations we've had offline. But, you know, I've got a son that's 21 years old. He's, he just came back from living internationally for two years. He's now finishing his sophomore year in, in college. I've got a daughter that graduates in two days from high school and then will go off to college as well. And that is my legacy, right? That's the most important thing that I can do is take care of my family and prepare them for this world to go out there and make an impact in the world themselves. So maybe talk to us a little bit about your thoughts about, about family and, and the impact that you can have within the, the walls of your own home and how it can actually affect the whole world. Well, yeah, and I, I mean that's the that's where we have the greatest impact, right? That's where we you know, have the most influence. I think that's where you know, it gets it gets really emotional um because of those relationships. I don't think there's very many people out there that aren't interested in what their great 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 grandpa did, you know, several hundred years ago, right? Everybody like they kind of want to know, like, hey, where, you know, how did I get here? Like, what, what kind of person was he? And so that that influence it lasts, right? It's exactly what what I meant with that quote is that it outlasts us, and through people, and especially through our family, there's no there's no better better way to have you know to have our our legacy you know created. And I think, and it's just true for me too, because I get so caught up in everything that I have going on that sometimes I don't take those moments and I don't realize, right? Because it feels so so day-to-day, so mundane. Like, 
this morning, my kids are out of school for the summer and I don't usually eat breakfast, but I sat down and ate breakfast with them, spent 30 minutes with them. I have to know that that meant something, right? Even though it doesn't feel like it. Yep. Like in my mind before I had children and I, I, I thought that there would be these like huge aha moments when I would say, give, give my eight year old a one liner and a light bulb would go off. Right. <laughs> Man, I haven't had that happen. It's it's more of those, you know, how, how am I treating people? What what am I doing to sacrifice for others? You know, how much of my day is spent thinking about other people versus thinking about myself? And the funny thing is, is as we're creating this legacy through others, especially through our families, we become happier when we when we spend time thinking about others. We're, it's really hard to be thinking about somebody else and complain about our own situation. And so it's, it's this kind of nice relationship between creating a legacy of focusing and spending time trying to help others while at the same time, you know, it's really tough to, to sacrifice something and not get something in return. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. And I think, you know, (laughs) Like I said, my kids are older than yours, 20, 21 and 18 or almost 18. And the hardest things that I've ever heard had to listen to as a parent or hear as a parent was my dad just, he's working all the time. Yeah. And and you realize, man, that 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 really just means I'm working, building this business that in my mind, I'm building 100% for them, right? To to provide for them, to give them a good life, to pay for their college education, whatever it is that's important to me personally to provide to them. Um, but I missed the mark a few times when they make comments like that because they'd really just rather spend some time with me. They don't want dad on right. the phone when the family's out to dinner or, you know, whatever it is uh, where I just completely miss the mark. And that is painful as a father and kind of a, a thing that just pushes me right yeah. back onto onto the right path to realize, okay, let's, let's be careful about how we're doing this because the most precious commodity that all of us have is, is our time. Yeah. That's the one thing you can't get more of. I understand what, where you're coming from. I work uh, probably 90% of my time from my home office and I've heard that regularly, but one of the best things that I can teach my children, a couple of things. One is I want them to know that I was a hard worker. Another thing that I want to teach my children is that if you practice and you work hard enough at pretty much anything, you can become an expert and become, you know, above average. And so that's my my justification. Also, I, I hear my kids say that I, you know, take away the Xbox too much too. <laughs> and so that's, that kind of makes me feel a little better when I hear they, they, they're they telling me that I work too much, but. <laughs> yeah, the, the Xbox, I'm going to give you a pass on because I, I wish that that was never invented. And, and I also feel the same way about social media, quite honestly, for teenagers. But yeah, it, it's important for business. We use it. I mean, we're using it right now, but yeah. Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty detrimental for teenagers in a lot of ways. So yeah, Landon. Yeah, what a what a perfect uh, segue into uh, the next uh, topic of conversation, Alan. So, I, I think all of this, you know, that we've been talking about, you know, we've been talking about you know money and entrepreneurship and and kind of how money is essentially that that catalyst to get the things done 
that are important in your life and even after you're you're gone. But um, so in that regard, Alan, you've started several multi-million dollar businesses and now you've kind of made it your mission to help other people do that. So talk to us about business growth. You know, when when somebody wants to engage you or they start working with you or they have that initial consultation or, or whatever, like, you know, I know we've only got, you know, 10 minutes left, uh-huh. but just at a very high level, I mean, what are you telling these people? What advice are you sharing with them? Like, how do you get someone to to realize this explosive growth in their businesses? Well, I think in the beginning, um, we talk about vision and what their goals are. And I'll go through with them and I'll tell them what that's going to take to achieve, you know, certain levels. And we'll, so, so we'll kind of go through that process and see if they even want to do it in the first place. Or if they, you know what, they, I, I know a guy that he's uh, HVAC, you know, sole practitioner, doesn't have any employees, has a great life. And so we go through, in the beginning, we go through that process of, um, hey, do you even want this? Because everybody says they want it. And then they realize what it takes. I was talking uh, to a couple of guys that really want to blow up their company. And I told them, hey, you need to move out of your house and go get a, you know, a 1200 square foot apartment. They went do it. That's fine. I, I mean, you know, that's, it, it's step one, let's, let's create the vision and let's set the expectations. Let's go through that checklist and see what you're willing to do and, and where your boundaries are. And to, to be honest, it's a personal choice. And I always tell people that that's something you're going to have to tell me. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to persuade you in any direction about that. The next step is we start talking about money and we start talking about, okay, in order to do that, um, we have to get over this hurdle of how we, how are we going to fund it? Um, and like I've said, in some cases, if, 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 if it's the right fit, then I'll, you know, partner up with, with somebody if I think I can add that value and I'll support them financially to, to help scale the company. But, um, you know, from, from those three things, you know, one, setting a vision, two, talking about the expectations, and then three, um, creating a, a plan to, to fund the growth, you know, it goes in all different directions from there. Yeah, interesting. No, I, I love what you said uh, in step number two, right? Because uh, I mean, I, I think that we we could argue that you are, you know, it, an impact that you are making in the business community and in people's lives is is make, convincing them maybe that not to start a business, right? Because the reality is just like in, in our line of, of work, um, I think in the small business community that the numbers are not quite as bad as our industry, but they're they're pretty bad. I yeah. think, you know, when someone starts a business, the likelihood that they're still around in five years, I want to say it's like, Austin probably knows this better than me, like 50% or something, right? 20. About oh, oh 20%. No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking 10 years, 10 years, 10 years is 20%. Yep. Yeah, 20. Okay. So five years, I believe it's, you know, I don't know, they throw the number around, you know, 50%. So, you know, the likelihood that someone's going to start a business and not succeed is pretty high. And if they are 
really aggressive with it. They might be, you know, uh, putting their house up or their retirement accounts as collateral and possibly putting themselves and their families in a really uh, tough spot a couple years down the road. But, you know, um, I love I love what you said there, because I assume that sometimes you're, you're saying to someone, hey, this is not really what you think it is. You're not really going after what you think that you want to go after. And maybe you should really reconsider, you know, doing what you're thinking about doing. Yeah. And I mean, it, for me, when I go through expectations and I try to kind of set the proverbial scene for them, you know, the proverbial stage, I guess, what I'm doing is I'm trying to let them know what it feels like to get punched in the face, right? But I'm doing it before it actually happens. No one told me. I think that's the greatest thing a mentor can do is say, hey, this is what it's like. Not necessarily this is how you do this and this is how you do that, but this is what it's like. This is how it's going to be. And some people I talk to, they're like, bring it on. And what happens is now it's still going to hurt. It's still going to hurt when they lose their first you know, customer or they lose their first employee or whatever. But they're kind of in a position where they knew it was coming. And so it wasn't as bad. A lot of times in starting and growing a business, it's the unknown that gets you. It really is. COVID, my goodness. Talk about an unknown, right? When you set the table, you set the expectations and you talk through about how things are going to feel and what it's going to take, that is one of the greatest things a mentor can do for somebody. Even though what the individual wants me to do, they want me to just tell them, do this, do ABC, and surprise, multi-million dollar company. That's what they want. That's what they expect when they call me. And I'm like, hold on, let's take a step back. Let's get there, you know. But are you willing to do ABC first? One of the greatest attributes of an entrepreneur is their optimism, right? It's tough to be an entrepreneur and be negative about stuff. No one goes into things thinking, yeah, I'll make minimum wage by risking my, you know, my house, right? By mortgaging my house and putting it all into this. No, they're like, hey, man, our sales year one are going to be $10 million, right? (laughs) I heard that so many times. But then a mentor can pull them back and say, that's possible. That is possible, 100%. But this is what it's going to feel like. And this is what it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had an interesting conversation uh, with a guy uh, this morning, actually. Uh, I I recently went through a program. And there's two parts to the program. There is a program for founders and a program for investors. And the whole premise of the program is around angel investing. So it's prepping the founders for investment and then educating uh, investors on how to to be a smart angel investor. And anyway, I had a conversation with one of the finalists from the show. um, I mean, from the program uh, this morning at uh, my office. And, um, you know, we just were kind of spending a couple minutes getting to know each other and, and, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, is all, all in. And he's had to, you know, use his credit card to cover payroll, right? Because that's, you know, they're still in early stages of the business. And he is putting just a, a, a tremendous amount of, 
of time and money and effort into uh, building this out, you know, building out his uh, business. And, you know, someone like that, I mean, my hat is, is off to somebody like that because I have never done anything that risky before, you know, where I had to, you know, put a bunch of money on a credit yeah. card in order to uh, cover payroll. But it's just incredible what some people are willing to do to get to, you know, where they want to be. Yeah. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, risk and reward are infinitely connected. You hear these stories and and they don't always work out. You always hear the stories that that do. You rarely hear the stories that don't, but it's those that that really risk not at all, but risk a lot that have the largest payouts. And I have a really high risk tolerance, at least with with money. I I grew up, you know, my dad was a he he owned a car shop and six of us, uh six kids, eight of us in a uh, three-bedroom house with one bathroom, my poor sisters. <laughs> but that's that's where I grew up and I didn't know any different. I thought it was awesome. I thought we were rich. My dad made like 20 grand a year. And so if if I'm in that, it, and I've spent time in South America and I realized people with dirt floors are as happy or happier than I was. And so it's that, that um, corollary between risk and reward that you hear those stories and I, I love hearing it. I've never had to put pay, I've never missed a payroll, knock on wood. And I, I, I haven't even had to put it on a credit card. So, but even regardless of what happens with that individual, my guess is that he or she will be successful at some point just because of that attitude. I think a lot of times when we take risk, what we're saying is, I, if nothing else, I believe in myself. And, and there's a power to that. There's a power to, you know, putting a lot on the line and seeing what happens because you can always come back from that um, regardless of what happens because um, when we put that confidence in ourselves and we learn, hey, now's the time for me to learn what I'm really made of, those, I think those are, you know, people that have a great future. Yeah, I agree 100%. So just just to close out the show, and we really appreciate the conversation, uh, an important message that wasn't vocalized today, but I think is important to make sure that our listeners hear and understand is that, you know, your your expertise is helping businesses scale quickly. But it's also okay to not scale quickly. It's also, you, 100%. Know, you, you mentioned the HVAC guy that has a great life, single, 100%. you know, sole proprietor. Um, there are ways to grow, you know, 500,000 one year, a million the next year, and 1.25 the next year, and, you know, continue to grow right. your revenue and, and increase your earnings every single year and build a great business for yourself. That is 100% accurate. And, and, and to tell you the truth, scale is relative anyway, because there's people that would look at what, what I'm doing and they're like, he's scaling quickly, right? Not a tech company yeah. that, you know, does 10,000 X, but um, that's 100% right. Be, and and the reason is because it goes back to what's your vision, what is the right fit for you. But yeah, I'm I'm not the right guy to call if unless you're wanting to scale real quick. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the conversation, Alan. We look forward to to watching you as uh, as time goes on over the years, and and uh, maybe we'll have you back in a year or so. And 
give us an update on how things are going. Love it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, real quick before we wrap up, Alan, um, people that want to track you down and have a conversation, uh, how do they go about doing that? Yeah. AlanDraper.com. Um, best place to find me. I'm pretty active on social media too. Pretty easy to find, but you can schedule an appointment with me on alandraper.com or get more contact information there. Okay. Awesome. Alan, uh, really appreciate you, man. Really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Likewise. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.